You're listening to The Firsts, The Forerunners of Islam, the series that visits those distinguished as leaders of humanity, not only in history, but in the ranks of the next world. Dive into the stories of the giants who were the first of their kind as they rose to the occasion and became preserved inspirations for generations to come. With your host, Sheikh Dr. Omar Salaman, let's meet the firsts. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, dear brothers and sisters. Welcome back to the first shorts where we are looking at some of those early Muslims and companions of the Prophet who we don't have much narrated about, but we can extract lifelong lessons for ourselves And if I was to address this particular lesson to anyone, it would be the people of modern day Jordan. You know, last week we talked about a man who was responsible for one of the major cities of Iraq, where much of Islamic civilization was produced. And today we are talking about a man who also was a quiet soldier. You don't have much about him, but is responsible for uh, what is modern day Jordan and much of Palestine as well uh, in coming into Islam. So let's talk about this man. And his name is a very interesting one. His name is pronounced Shurahbil ibn Hasana. Shurahbil ibn Hasana, radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And it can also be Sharhabil, uh, according to some of the scholars. So Shurahbil ibn Hasana, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, was one of the first to embrace Islam. We don't have a number that's attributed the way that we do with Utbah ibn Ghazwan, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, who was, according to one narration, the seventh who embraced Islam. But we do know that he's very early on. And Shurahbil, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, is named after his mother, Ibn Hasana. And Hasana, his mother, is also an early Muslim anha. So she'd also be considered one of the first Muslims. And why he's named after her, uh, the scholars say, is because she is the one who adopted him and raised him as a child. So there is actually uh, very little known about his father. In fact, much dispute about who his father even was, what his actual name was. Uh, anhu. Uh, some of the sources mention a man by the name of Abdullah ibn Muta'a, and they say that he's from Banu Kinda or Banu Tamim, one of the, the two famous tribes at the time. But at the end of the day, his mother adopted him as a child and he was named or attributed to his mother and his mother raised him. And later on in life, uh, she would marry a man by the name of Sufyan ibn Ma'mar uh, from Al-Madina, who he and his sons became Muslim. And uh, he and his sons, uh, Jabir ibn Sufyan ibn Ma'mar and Junada ibn Sufyan ibn Ma'mar, who would be stepbrothers of uh, Shurahbil, also would make the second hijrah to Abyssinia. So they originate uh, from the lineage of the Ansar, but at the same time, uh, they were settled in Mecca and they would migrate to Abyssinia along with Shurahbil and his mother. So Shurahbil radiallahu ta'ala anhu, like Utbah, we have nothing about him before the migration to Abyssinia. We know that he made the second hijrah to Abyssinia along with his mother and along with his stepfather and his stepbrothers. So when he is in Abyssinia, what we will see of him is that the Prophet ﷺ would entrust him with a serious amana, with a serious trust. And that is what is narrated authentically about Umm Habibah anha, the wife of the Prophet ﷺ. Now, if you remember when we spoke about Umm Habiba radiallahu anha, she has the most interesting story of marriage to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam hears about the death of her husband, Ubaidullah ibn Jahsh in Abyssinia. So Umm Habiba radiallahu anha 
migrated to Abyssinia with Ubaidullah bin Jahsh. And Ubaidullah bin Jahsh, and we spoke about the dispute about whether or not he uh, became Christian and he died actually not even as a Muslim in Abyssinia. But the point is, is that Um Habiba is left as a widow in Abyssinia and in a very peculiar situation. And she's the daughter of Abu Sufyan. So it's a very sensitive situation. And the Prophet sends a proposal to Um Habiba radiallahu ta'ala anha in Abyssinia all the way from Al-Madina. And when she receives that proposal, she receives it on the part of a Najashi. So the Prophet actually addresses the Najashi radiallahu ta'ala anhu uh, to conduct the marriage on his behalf. And Al-Najashi radiallahu ta'ala anhu from himself actually gave a mahar of 4,000 uh, dirhams. And of course, he held the wedding, the walima, the feast of Um Habiba radiallahu ta'ala anha in Abyssinia uh, himself uh, radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So Um Habiba radiallahu anha has an interesting marriage to the Prophet sallallahu which we've already covered in some detail. Now, where does, uh, where does uh, Shurahbil uh, come into play here? He was the person, according to Um Habiba radiallahu ta'ala anha, that a Najashi sent her with to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. فَبَعَثَ بِهَا إِلَىٰ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ مَعَ شُرَحْبِيلِ ibn Hasana رَضِيَ اللَّهُ تَعَلَىٰ عَنْهُ This is an authentic narration of Abu Dawood. So he is the one who in, in, uh, accompanies Um Habib رَضِيَ اللَّهُ تَعَلَىٰ عَنْهَا from Abyssinia to Al-Madinah where she would be reunited with the Prophet وسلم, years after the actual nikah was conducted. So subhanAllah, that's a great honor. Uh, to be entrusted with, and it shows you the position of competency and honor that he has with the Prophet وسلم, as well, uh, to have such a trust with him. However, the greater honor comes to him when he arrives in Al-Madinah. So this was part of the community that stayed in Abyssinia for some time, all right? They did not come back to Mecca and migrate with the Prophet وسلم, to Medina. Rather, this was part of the community that settled in Abyssinia for some time and then came to the Prophet وسلم, uh, in Al-Madinah. When he arrives in Medina, the Prophet ﷺ bestows upon him the honor of being one of Kutab al-Wahi, one of those who would be honored with writing down the revelation. So he's a scribe of the Prophet ﷺ as well, as he was an early Muslim who also was one of the few people that was literate. And of course, because of the sacrifices that he had already made with the Prophet ﷺ, he was deserving of such an honor. So the Qur'an that we have today, subhanAllah, some of its original documentation comes at the hands of this man who is barely known to most of the Muslims, Shurahbil radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So he didn't witness many of the battles with the Prophet However, because of his skill and because of uh, the position that he had in the Khilaf of Abu Bakr al-Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anhu, Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu assigned him to be a commander in the war uh, on, on the apostates, in the Battle of Yamama in particular, we see that he was second in command after Khalid ibn Walid radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So Khalid, of course, was first in command and he was second in command in that decisive battle of Al-Yamama. And he also used to run special operations at the time due to his unique skill set. After the Battle of Yamama and the war against the apostates, Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu sends four divisions uh, uh, of the army under Khalid radiallahu ta'ala anhu. One of them is commanded by Amr ibn As, one by Abu Ubaidah ibn Jarrah, one by Yazid ibn Abi Sufyan, and one by Shurahbil ibn Hasana radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So he's one of the main commanders 
that will then participate in the battles against the Byzantines in Asham. We find that he was uh, a key participant in the fall of Busra, an important city in greater Syria. And then he was also a commander in one of the most decisive battles against the Byzantines known as the Battle of Ajnadin, where the Byzantines were beaten back into Damascus. So he was actually one of the commanders at the time. Now, when Abu Bakr who passed away, you might remember that Umar ibn al-Khattab replaced Khalid ibn al-Walid with Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah as the key commander. And it's significant that Abu Ubaidah when he assumes charge of the army, he left Shurahbil in his position. So he did not uh, relieve Shurahbil of being the second in command, deputy commander uh, under him as the battle turned not just beyond the Byzantines, but eventually towards uh, the Persians as well. However, his focus remained in uh, the, the battles against the Byzantines, against the Romans at the time. So where does he shine most? Shurah Bil, as I said in the very beginning of this episode, is uh, credited primarily for the opening of what is now Jordan, as well as parts of Palestine. He had an army of about 7,000 people and was able to conquer the majority uh, of that area. So SubhanAllah, those of you that are settled um, in Urdun, uh, in Jordan in particular, in parts of Palestine, this is a man who Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala uh, did much on his hands that you are still reaping the blessings of today. So what do we have of him next is, uh, unfortunately, his death in the plague of Amwas. So he is another one of those great companions that would pass away in the plague, which we have been speaking about recently, and of course, uh, hits home quite a bit now in the era of COVID-19. And in the plague of Amwas, we find a very you know, uh, interesting argument between him and Amr ibn As anhu, as Amr ibn As was, was trying to come to a solution for how to beat the plague. And interestingly enough, this really is a, is a, a differing amongst the Muslims on social distancing to an extent. Amr ibn As wanted to implement certain protocols. One of the things that he mentions to Amr ibn As anhu in the capacity of that is inni qad sahibtu Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wa amru adallu min jamari ahlihi. I was a companion of the Prophet sallallahu when Amr ibn As was still more lost than the companion of his family, the camel of his family. So I was a companion of the Prophet sallallahu very early on when Amr ibn As anhu was still as misguided as a camel of his people or min ba'iri ahlihi in one narration or uh, the wild, a wild beast of his uh, of his people, and Amr radiAllahu taala anhu said sadaq that he has told the truth. Uh, uh, Shurahbil said these famous words. He said about the plague, "Innahu rahmatu rabbikum wa da'watu nabiyikum sallallahu alaihi wasallam wa mautu salihin qablakum." That this is the mercy of your Lord and the supplication of your Prophet sallallahu and the death of the righteous that came before you. And as they were witnessing the death of some of the uh, key companions, Shurahbil radiallahu ta'ala anhu passed away on the very same day as Abu Ubaidah ibn Jarrah radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So this is again to give you, you know, the scope of how devastating uh, this particular plague of Amwas was. Imagine losing, you know, your first in command, your second in command on the very same day to the very same plague. Uh, and that was the case with Abu Ubaidah ibn Jarrah radiallahu ta'ala anhu and Shurahbil radiallahu ta'ala anhu. He was about 67 years old. So a life lived fi sabilillah, a life in which he was at the forefront of many different uh, battalions. 
In fact, when you're reading about the battles of the Byzantines, you know, there are very few times, very few times, rarely will you come across a chapter except that the battalion of Shurahbeer is mentioned. This podcast was brought to you by Yaqeen Institute for Islamic Research, dismantling doubts and nurturing conviction, one truth at a time. Tune in every week for the next episode, and don't forget to subscribe to this channel and share with friends. Until next time, this has been The Firsts, The Forerunners of Islam.